you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 23. Please uh, join with me in prayer. Lord, we open our hearts to you. We open our ears to hear from you, our eyes to see you, our lives to be lived through you, your spirit to speak, move and live within us. Lord, that what comes from today would be you working in us. You searching our hearts and knowing our ways. You knowing our anxiousness, our frustrations, our sins. Lord, you know everything there is about us and search us. Make a beautiful fruit from the word of your uh, Lord, our Lord, Jesus. Plant it in us, Lord, and let it be a blessing to the world around us. As we live in community, as we live to encourage one another, as we seek to live under your reign. Lord, give us a wonderful sense an awe-inspiring sense of your presence in our life today. Lord, that the things that we have used to prop ourselves up would fall apart, and that would hold us together as you. Lead us and care for us now. Help us to hear from you today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, as we've been following in the book of Matthew, has been uh, displaying his authority, his authority to forgive, his authority to heal, his authority to teach and admonish us, to encourage us, to draw us near to him. We've been tracking Jesus' life and his ministry. He spends a great deal of time with sinners on whom he's welcomed to him, and he spends a lot of time with religious folk who he spends a lot of time correcting. Last week's message was an encouragement to examine our hearts, to examine our hearts as a church, as people, to say, are we, uh, are we mistaking ourselves um, in our identity? Do we get to treat people differently because we're insiders and we can give uh, a stiff arm to those who are outsiders? Are we confused about who we are? Jesus preached uh, parables, and he challenged those who thought they were insiders to help them realize that their behavior was that of the outsiders. After last week's message, uh, Renee Long, she sent me a, a, an email uh, scolding my sermon. No, no, she didn't do that. And no, she did not. She's awesome. She encourages me so much, and I appreciate Renee immensely she's been a huge encouragement to me and she uh she was walking past a house that's been condemned and she said it was startling to me that it was condemned because on the outside it really looks fine 
but on the inside, there's no telling the damage that's been done. And we can do that as Christians, can't we? We can put on a show, we can put up a front, we can show we have our life together, but we know that there are things going on within us that aren't always what we need them to be. That there's that sort of insider out thing and we don't always see what's going on in people's lives. It's my conviction, it's my understanding that the church is called to be a place where we can be honest with each other. Honest with our failures, honest with our shortcomings, honest with our feelings, honest with what's going on in our life, honest. And it's also a, a people, my conviction is that it should be a people who are forgiving, forgiving of one another. When I look at the church as a whole, not just this church, but all churches, we can run away from those convictions. We can sort of reject that we should be honest with one another and we should just sort of be here. It's just sort of this is what we do and what we've always done. It's what our parents did. It's what we're told to do. And so we just sort of do it. And it loses some of its life and happiness. I can look at uh, the church and I can see a church that is not always all that forgiving. When you pick up Matthew 23, I've wrestled with this sermon and, and honestly I've written about four or five sermons in my head and three on paper and I got sick this week and so I wasn't really sure uh, what today was going to be and what stories I wanted to share because this text is a woe to the Pharisees, but it's also a 21st century woe to the church. It's a warning. It's a warning to say, are we examining our hearts regularly? What is going on on the inside of us? Because really, when we look at the church, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs, the Pharisees. He says, you have whitewashed the tombs, but you're still dead inside. And I've been thinking about this term. I'm coining the phrase, I'm going to maybe write a book about it called tomb scrubbers. I don't know. I don't know if it'll work. But I just think about how much tomb scrubbing I've done in my life trying to keep up the appearance as though I have everything together. And what Jesus presents to the Pharisees is that what they are doing is all outward and nothing inward. And what they have done is they've created scenarios in which it is impossible to enter into the kingdom of God. That in all of their efforts to keep things right and ritually pure and appearance of holiness has kept people from a genuine, bona fide relationship with God. And so I wrestle with this text because I wonder what programs, what procedures, what rituals, what things have I put up in my own life and in the lives of others that have kept them from knowing that Jesus loves them, that you are loved by God. You are loved. 
that you could have shown up in any sort of clothing that you decided to show. You could have shown up today in your pajamas with your hair undone, and Jesus would have loved you. That you could have shown up having sinned terribly all week, and you could have shown up here, and Jesus still would have been really happy that you came here. Yet somehow, somehow, Despite knowing this to be true, what do we do? We keep up putting up these walls, these things that just sort of prop ourselves up to say, look at how righteous we are. Jesus says you should listen to the Pharisees, but you shouldn't practice what they preach because they don't do what they, they say. You're only going to get a certain kind of righteousness from the Pharisees. You will get the appearance of righteousness. You will get a whitewashed tomb. And so you can join the tube scrubbing team. Tomb scrub, tomb, tomb scrubbing team. Or you can join the tomb moving team. The one who tears it open and brings life. And that's the gospel Jesus preached. It's the gospel Jesus lived. It was a gospel of peace and forgiveness and righteousness that truly comes through a life laid down. Jesus says in Matthew 23 that those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be lifted up. That that's what this is about. It's not about exalting ourselves. It's about exalting Jesus. It's about lifting him up. And to do that, I must lay my life down. And all of these props and all of these things, he goes into the woes. In verse 13, he says, What are the woe to you, teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who try uh, who try to nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by an oath. You blind fools, which is greater? The gold of the temple that makes the gold, the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift of the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar, swear by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple, swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven, swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law, verse 25, and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. 
and then the outside will be clean also. I've preached this sermon a few times, or this text rather, and I like to have a, a cup, and I like to fill it up with a bunch of like you know nasty things, and then offer a kid to drink it. Right? Um, I won't do that today. It's, you know, it's tried and true. It's a fun thing to do, but uh, the point is obvious that. To clean the inside of the cup, you have to submerge it into the, into the dishwater to get it fully clean. And isn't it amazing that the most in, important concept uh, for our life today is that of just cleaning the inside of a cup? You know, we, we spend so much time addressing the outside of the cup. So much time. And what we have found, if you are following anything in like sort of the world and things that are happening in the world, we can just take, for instance, Simone Biles. Simone Biles spent her life working on the outside of the cup. Her outside is incredible. She is the most amazing woman athlete ever to exist. That young lady, she could spring to the sky and do flips that we could never before imagine. And then when all of the pressure of the outside happened, poor young lady was squashed under the weight of the world. And I'm not sure that there's any sort of thing you can do on the inside to prepare yourself for that sort of pressure. And I'm sure she did a lot of things to do that. And she took time to care for herself. We spend an awful lot of time cleaning the outside and what are we doing for the inside and Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and saying, you have spent an awful lot of time making the appearance of things that you have a, a righteous and holy life. But what have you done for the inside of your heart? It's been a difficult news cycle for Christians over the last several years. There's people like Bill Hybels, most recently, and you'll see things if you pay any attention to social media because they love to dog Christians when they do something stupid. Um, uh, uh, Joel Houston out of Hillsong Church, he's recently been fired uh, because of immorality and things that he's done wrong. Ravi Zacharias, who was one of the greatest Christian apologists in our lifetime, after his death, things came out about him. What has happened is, is that there is a really strong sense and powerful thing that happens on the out, outside and people are drawn to them. They're charismatic leaders and they're incredible people and people follow them and then there is this sort of corruption of the heart. You know, there is going to be hypocrisy in the church so long as there are human beings in the church. But there is, I think, a way forward. There's a way forward for all of us to say, I don't, I don't want to be a Christian on the outside and not a Christian on the inside as well. I don't want to just keep up the appearances of righteousness. I want to be righteous through and through. And so Jesus, he says to us, clean the inside of the cup. Which begs the question, Jesus, how do I clean the inside of the cup? Right? It's like, I would be doing that if I could, Jesus, thank you. And I think the way that he cleans it, he shows us. He shows us how to clean it. He pours out his life. He pours out his cup. 
he empties his life. He doesn't choose uh, equality with God as something for himself to grasp, but he lays down his life, pouring his life out. And it becomes our acceptance of this. It is our pouring our own hearts out. It's our laying our own lives down. And so I think hypocrisy in the church, I think the answer to it is honesty and humility. I think it's being honest with ourselves and saying we're not as good as we think we are and portray we are. And I think it's the humility to say, it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about the appearances that I've tried to keep up for myself. It's about Christ in me, working in me. I, um, I have run into, uh, I have run into two things in the church over the years, uh, and some of which I'm, I'm like, I've participated in too. There's sort of like two gospels that run around uh, in the church. Uh, there's the legalist gospel, and there's the liberal gospel. And I realize you all are excited about this next point. <laughs> but uh, but we, we run into it a lot. So the, and what I mean by the legalist gospel, and it's kind of an oxymoron because, but anyways, uh, the legalist gospel is the sort of, these are the things you do. This is the expectation list. These are the things that maybe when you grew up in the church, uh, you were told not to play cards, wear a certain, uh, certain style dress, wear, uh, you know, uh, wear your clothing and wear your hair in a certain style, don't go dancing. Um, you know, I would, ne never mind, I was, I'm going to diverge there. Um, I was going to teach you some moves that are fun. I learned how to do the, uh, so the kids, they, they do, what's this one called? The floss. So the key to the floss is pretending like you have a stick in your hand and you're breaking the stick and moving it. So just so you know, right? So yeah, thank you. Thank you. There's more. There's more moves. I'm going to start a YouTube channel. Uh, the, uh, no, that's terrible. So uh, you missed it, uh, Terry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, can, we can do it again, right? So it's just the key is knowing you're holding the stick. All right. So, you know, so you know, you know that message that's been taught, right? Who is familiar with the legalist gospel, right? This message that hold these expectations and cling to them and you will find your way to God that way. Like that's the expectation, right? That if you do these things, then you'll live a life honorable to God. God will then like you and won't smite you and send you to hell. That's maybe an overgeneralization, but that's our feeling, right? That's the impression we get. And then I, I call it the liberal gospel mostly uh, to keep the alliteration because I think the word liberal means a hundred other things now too, and so maybe it's not the right word, but we think more of like the social gospel. There's the sort of expectations that we put on ourselves of what our appearances should be and keeping those things propped up, but then we also have this sort of social gospel, this aspect of the things that we do for others. And so then the expectation then is, is that we will earn God's love for us by, by the things that we do and the things that we make right. So do we get water to those who have dirty water? Do we get food to those who are hungry? Do we take care of the poor among us? And these are all great things. 
Like, we should live a life honorable to God. We should live a life caring for others, but we make these things the end-all, be-all. And when we make too much of either, of either one of them, we forget the main thing. We have the legalist gospel and we have the sort of liberal gospel, but then do we have the Lord's gospel? The Lord's gospel that finds us right there in the middle of all of it that says, you are loved, whatever you look like and whatever you have done or haven't done, you are loved. And God meets you there. And God will start cleaning you from the inside out so that when you have clean, a clean heart, then what comes from that is compassion for the poor. What comes from that is meeting the needs of those who are sick and hurting and suffering and just helping anyone and everyone because they're a they can be a child of God too. They are loved by God too. And then obviously stop dancing, right? <laughs> that makes perfect sense. But my first impression from Christians or lots of folks' first impression from Christians is, is that you have to be here to be loved. You have to look this way. You have to do these things. You have these expectations to honor God, as if God is looking down to smite you if you have a haircut or not. Utter nonsense. God loves you. He loves you. And he laid down his life for you. And it takes, in my mind, to end this hypocrisy of both. Because both end up being hypocrisy. If all it is is ever an outpouring, if all of it is is appearances, and it's never a genuine life with God, then what is it? It's hypocrisy. And so let Jesus clean the inside of the cup. Let him work in you, through you, through and through and true. Open your heart to him. Let Jesus clean the inside of our hearts. Let Jesus in. Open your life to him. Because this stuff will drive you crazy. I've been there. I used to wear ties every Sunday and I couldn't breathe, but I thought I had to. Because someone always preached with a tie on. And then they said, no, let it loose, Jordan. Dance on stage. Do the thing. Right? I don't think they said to go that far. but uh. Oh, it's online now. It's going viral, baby. That's what it's all about, appearances and going viral. That's the point. Yeah, my, my goodness. I went to a week. Uh, uh, let me... I spoke to a group of uh, high school students, and uh, I preached a similar message. It was a, a message about the cross, and it was a message about God's love for them, and I taught them that there was a way in which we as Christians remember Christ's sacrifice. And this message, I walked through the Bible, I told them, the loving, compassionate story of God's grace for them and the acceptance that we have because of the grace of the cross and welcoming high school kids in 
to know that they are loved by God no matter what sexual sin, no matter what brokenness they face, no matter what suffering. Whatever baggage that they had, they could bring it to God and that they were loved and accepted. I mean, it was an amazing sermon. And uh, that was a joke, all right. The, uh, and I invited them, I invited them to share in communion. And it was a way of recognizing that they have a life with God and God loved them and cared for them. It was a way to remember Christ's sacrifice and all that he's done for them. Good idea, right, to invite high school kids to come and participate in communion as a way to honor God and remember Christ for his sacrifice, doing just exactly what he tells us to do, right? Good idea? I thought so. There was a person in the audience who was a volunteer worker who stood up in my sermon when I invited students to take communion and started berating me in front of the students in the, towards the end of my sermon. And he said, I cannot let you do this. And I said, what? <laughs> and it was a whole thing, and it was a disaster. It was pretty much the worst moment of preaching I've ever had. And I never told you that story because, well, I probably shouldn't have. But, um, but I've, I've thought, and I've looked back on that, because it was a Tuesday night. He didn't want them to have communion. I told him later, I said, well, Jesus did it on Thursday. Would that have been all right? He didn't think that was funny. <laughs> and then when I read in Matthew 23 that you have made them just another child of hell, that you've gone a great distance to make a disciple and you haven't done anything for their hearts, I thought, man, what... What are we missing here? That this is how you feel. That you can't celebrate this with these kids right now. And, uh, and it went back and forth for a while, but I can condemn that guy. But I got to think about my own heart. And I got to think about my own walk. And this challenge that's in the text to say, there are people who desire to come into the kingdom. People who are knocking. And are we putting up walls or are we opening it to them? What expectations do we have when they come into the room? I got news for you. I, I look at what's going on out there and there's a lot of people that have a lot of problems and they're going to bring them in. Are we going to love them? Are they going to fit what we want them to be like? I like people like me. They're cool. They're fun. I think so anyways. <laughs> right? I like what I am comfortable with. But as I sit and I pray and I ask God, what, what are you doing in this world? He's asking his church to lay aside our hypocrisies and give God our heart. He's saying, listen to the Lord's gospel that says repent and believe in the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And believe in this good news and open your life to this Jesus who's king over all. Don't make it about these things. Make it about this one thing. Jesus is Lord and king. And open your heart to him. 
this is the wrestling match I've been having with God in my own life. I hope that some of all of the craziness I've done this morning, and sorry for the ADHD and issues there, I hope God has spoken to your heart to say, open it to him. Listen to him. Lay down your life. Make it about a life with God. Let be your prayer today. Will you open your heart to him? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And we wrestle with uh, so many uh, things, God, in our own life, in our own uh, day-to-day practices, God, where we have just merely gone through the motions of a life with you. God, wake us up. And that's such a dangerous ask sometimes, God, for you to help us to think and stop and listen to you. But God, we need it. Your church needs it. And we look at what's happening in the world. And while it feels like hypocrisy is on the rise, it just, maybe, Lord, is just magnified because because evil is what gets magnified.